1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
2: Hello there, listeners. I hope you're well. Welcome back to another installment of the Eurosport and Beautiful Game podcast collaboration. And on this episode, we are going to be sharing our views And review of the Champions League final, of course, the all English final that was played yesterday evening between Manchester City and and Chelsea. Uh, Of course, uh, as, as ever, I'm your host, Budge, and I'm joined by my faithful co conspirators, Dot and Dej. Gents, are we well?
0: Yes, we are. Great stuff. Very well, very well. Champions League final time, two English clubs, man. Let's get it rocking. A hundred percent. Now, um, this is one that
2: we had hoped in, in our last episode when we were doing the preview to the game. We we hoped that it would live up to the billing um, and it wouldn't be a, a boring one, certainly not in the in the build up as well. And I think uh, the pre-match billing certainly did live up to expectations. Just sort of scrolling through uh, Twitter uh, beforehand, I didn't know that uh, so many Chelsea fans were even religious or incredibly <laughs> superstitious i saw people sending uh, uh, scriptures and, and and bible verses to each other on uh, wow. on whatsapp i saw people attending church sermons and 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 praying for for chelsea to get the win and, and all that kind of stuff and and also it was interesting to see how many parallels were being drawn to chelsea's champions league win back in 2012 right so uh, in that same year you had a, a London club in West Ham who won the championship playoff final. Of course, we saw Brentford did the same uh, yesterday uh, in that same year as well. City were the Premier League champions. A Spanish team won the Europa League. It was Atletico uh, that year. And of course, this year it was uh, Villarreal who, who beat Manchester United. And the, the one thing to uh, sort of add uh, ice in, uh, uh, on top of the cake was the fact that it was Roberto Di Matteo's birthday as well, wow. who, of course, was the last manager to win the Champions League with Chelsea. So, you know, all, all of the superstitions and all the coincidences you could possibly have uh, summed up to that. And I think it, it, it's, an, it's an interesting one, and certainly one we're going to speak about because of the fact that one of the things that Dot alluded to in the previous episode was uh, the, the the element of football heritage and the fact that you know uh, a club having a history in a in a cha- in a in the Champions League and in a particular competition does you know uh, uh, um, play a part in in the way that certain games uh, ebb and flow and and, and ultimately the, the the result that come from those games, but. Um, to kick things off uh, with uh, our review of this game, I'm gonna start with you, Dot. And what I want to ask you, the first question I want to uh, have a look at is: when those team um, lineups came out and you saw the formations, you saw the players that were, were starting for both teams, were there any surprises for you in, in in those lineups?
1: I'll kick off with Chelsea because it's easy to talk about Manchester City's lineup, but I think with Chelsea, I was surprised that the actual match winner you know, on the night, was Mm -hmm. named in the squad because I think or thought Tuchel was going to go with a front three of Werner, Pulisic Mm -hmm. and Mason Mount. And if it wasn't Pulisic, I thought Hakim Ziad will come in because he's had strong performances against Manchester City in the FA Cup and he also played well against them in the league where he scored. And another thing that I noticed straight away was the positional swaps of Reese James and Aspilicueta because recently Reese James has actually played in centre-back where Aspilicueta has now moved to right-back. So for him to change that in the biggest game of the season, I was like, wow, that's very interesting. Although I do think that is the best fit for the Chelsea squad, Reese James at right-wing back, Aspilicueta at centre-back, for him to do it and test it in that occasion mm-hmm. against arguably the best team in Europe at the moment and get the win. I think we just have to give credit to Thomas Tuca because he dropped a masterclass yesterday.
2: 100%. And, and how about you, Dej? Are, are you of the same belief? And, and in terms of City, um, were, were there any surprises for you in, in terms of the way that Pep set up his
0: team? Of course. I mean, before, when we saw that team lineup, we were like, oh, he's gone for it here. It's either going to be seen as a Pep masterclass or he overcomplicated it, as we've seen in many years. And obviously the big change that we saw was in midfield. For 59 out of 60 of the games, he started Rodrigo or Fernandinho. Mm -hmm. For this game, he started neither. And for me, I was bamboozled on the biggest game in the club's career. You start Gundogan, who scored 17 goals this season, you know, bombing into the box. You start him in a more withdrawn role. Phil Foden, who's bamboozled the competition, normally starts on the left hand side you started him centrally and you played that out of sorts Raheem Sterling I thought again we're probably going to go into it in a bit more depth but I thought on your biggest day play what works play what the players are accustomed to because you've already got the pre-match jitters of the actual occasion of itself and when you've got over information or over complication that adds to the mix and it's a concoction that doesn't work well. Yeah, no, 100%. And us as fans,
1: you know, pundits, journalists, we need to be careful as well because I remember on this very show we used to wax lyrical over Cancelo saying that he's arguably the best fullback in world football. And yesterday he couldn't even get onto the pitch. And that just shows he's declining form, he's declining confidence. And I think if Manchester City were going to win this game, they had to do something different. And I think maybe someone like a Cancelo being that wild card to create from deep by whipping in crazy balls, you know, from 40 yards and his ability to just attack relentlessly, I think he could have potentially been a difference maker in the game. So I think his omission was also a big, big surprise to me, if I'm being honest. Mm.
0: And also another thing from Pep we need to remember is the last two previous occasions when he's come up against a man his side, he's played strikers. He's either played Gabriel Jesus, mm. or he's played Jesus and Aguero. Mm-hmm. So on one respect, you can say, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. So he probably thought to himself, I'm going to have to tweak something to change it. But I think he changed too many tools within the system and mm-hmm. he just upset everyone because there was a period in the first half, you could see the players that like looking around thinking... Where am I supposed to be? Or this isn't natural. And for that to be in a final, I think, yeah, that was catastrophic. A hundred percent.
2: So, so dead, you, you already, um, started, uh, there with, in terms of just rev- reviewing the game and that's what we're going to do now in this, this sort of next segment and, and speak about the the ebb and the flow and, and generally how, how we saw it. So we're, we're going to stick with you on this one. I think, uh, looking at the game to begin with, um, it seemed as though you had, polar opposites in terms of the team. So you had a, uh, one team that was a team of 11 Duracell bunnies just uh, buzzing around like, you know, just full of energy and, and, and really, really full of hunger and, and drive to make something of the game. And then you had another team that seemed as though they were nursing hangovers, potentially from the, the Premier League win celebrations and whatnot. And maybe a few of those players had a bit too much to drink over the past uh, couple of days and weeks um but but staying staying um with you Dej, you know how how did you see things going in terms of the flow of the game in, in the first half and then the second half i remember again going back to our previous show um we were speaking about the fact that we felt it was going to be very nip and tuck it was going to be very um you know uh, back and forth and, and and a lot of tweaks being made and 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 that kind of
0: thing was that what you saw displayed on on the pitch or was it a very different story Um, These are two teams that have been into bed with each other several times this season. So there was no sort of feeling out process. Mm -hmm. And I remember in the last episode, we referenced the Liverpool versus Tottenham game that was obviously decided by minor details. And this game was sort of similar. But before the game, Pep said, you know what, I want to attack the final. And when you look at the statistics, one shot on target in the previous games against Chelsea, three and four shots on target. So that clearly didn't work. But just to get into the game, I think first five, ten minutes, Chelsea seemed a bit nervous. You know, they were passing along the back, getting themselves into problems. But after that, I felt they sort of grew into the game. They managed it. Obviously, Manchester City had much more of the possession, but that's to be expected. But they weren't sort of poking and prodding. The best opportunity they had is when Edison played that shotgun pass into Raheem Sterling. And obviously, he couldn't get the shot off. But I think... Everyone knows with Chelsea now, it's the speed, it's the transitions. We saw that perfectly executed against Atletico Madrid. And that's where the goal came from. You know, there was an overload on the left-hand side. You know, chill well and Mount combining well. And obviously outnumbering Walker. And when we talk about where would Fernandinho have been, I think he would have been close, in on the ice, spotting the danger. That's sort of like that sixth sense that Ilkay Gundogan doesn't have. And obviously play the ball into Havertz and when it bubbled off him, I was thinking if there's one man on this pitch that you want to finish this off, it's actually Kai Havertz because that's his forte, being a technician, being easy on the eye. And obviously he's had a lot of criticism on this platform. And <laughs> I think that will be the first of all. <laughs> <laughs> the <only laughs> Because you know what? He doesn't have to do another thing Chelsea in this this Chelsea team cemented himself as a legend he sort of paid that feedback and I apart from the goal he was fantastic this game was always going to be about moments for him and every time he had the ball he'd done something well whether that's to hold the ball up he was the one that also set up that chance for Christian Pulisic so I felt all in all was a fantastic performance from Kai Havertz Do do you have a rebuttal to that? Although
1: I always said look like Havertz is (laughs) not I haven't seen anything to suggest he's a sensational talent in terms of like putting him up there with the Kylian Mbappes or the Horans of this world. But the one thing I did always say was: if you are gonna play Kai Habits, you need to play him up front. And I maintained that. And I said, he is a player that will give you good moments in a game. He may not do it consistently over the full 90 minutes. But if he gets into his stride, if he builds confidence, he is a player that has quality. There's no doubt about that. And I think yesterday he showed us his quality. He showed us that he can be an important player for Chelsea. And I agree with Dej. Kai Havertz doesn't have to do anything else in his Chelsea career to cement himself as a legend now. Because yesterday he scored the Champions League winning goal. And full credit to him. And I think... There was a bit of a joke going around on social media about um, uh, Kai Havertz's apology form. And I I filled it in. (laughs) I I actually filled it in and I signed that at the bottom
0: and I said, listen, I'm
1: sorry because...
0: What, so where have you sent it to?
1: Did you We we have to give him his credit. I'm not going to sit here and say, Kai Havertz is a bad player. I've never thought he's a bad player. Do I think he's the player that people think he is? No, and I still believe that. But he has quality, and he showed his quality
2: yesterday. Hundred percent. You know what, though. I, so I went back and I listened to our previous um, show when we were talking about the previews and whatnot, right? And one of the things that you 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 quote um, you said, and I quote, is that whichever manager acts first, the other manager would react. And you mentioned that. Uh, in, in saying that, you were talking about the fact that again, you, you thought it was going to be very, very close. There wasn't. It wasn't going to be a high-scoring game. It was going to be a, a, you know, a very, very nip and tuck chess match kind of thing, right? And I think Dej mentioned it a little earlier when he spoke about the the, the one real significant chance that um, City had when Edison played the long ball over the top to um, to Sterling, right? And I'm not sure if you guys had uh, seen it as well, but before the game, um, uh, Pep sat down with uh, Rio Ferdinand and he he really did a good job of breaking down the tactics of Chelsea and and why they're so particularly strong. And for me, I kind of felt it was a bit surprising then that we didn't see what you mentioned, Dot, in, in, in Pep adjusting and trying something different when what he was, uh, the, the tactics that he was deploying in the game weren't particularly working. Um, and so in hindsight, if you were in Pep's position, what changes would you have made? Or do you think there were were, were changes that he could have made effectively to to get a better result than what he, he got?
1: Tough, because at the end of the day, show. Shall has the formula to beat Pep Guardiola. So it's all well and good us coming out and mm. criticising... You said it, that. you said it in the last you episode know. as
2: well.
1: Mm. It's all well and good saying, why is Raheem Sterling playing? He's been out of sorts. Um, As I mentioned earlier, João Cancelo, who I think is a terrific player going forward. I'm not too sure about him defensively, but going forward, he's a very dominant attacker and he creates a lot of opportunities. But Tuchel knows how to beat Pep Guardiola. And I'm not sure that Pep Guardiola could have done anything different yesterday and changed that result because I always believed that Chelsea were in control of that game. And I think the way Chelsea started that game showed me everything I needed to know about the two teams because Chelsea had more energy. 50-50s, they were winning them. People like Rudiger, they were being nasty, getting in people's faces. And I think (laughs) Manchester City almost thought, you know what? They, these guys are good. Like They know how to beat us. And I think it's mental. It's psychological. If you've beaten a team in the last two games, you have the formula, you've played better than them. It's not luck. You've been the better team in both games. Surely you're going to fancy your chances as the underdog in the final to get another win over them. And Chelsea did that yesterday. So we have to give credit to Thomas Tuchel. Yes, Pep Guardiola may have complicated things yesterday, But I'm not sure Fernandinho coming in for Raheem Sterling would have been the difference that everyone's suggesting it it should be. And I think the last point I'll make on Manchester City, and I agree with Dez, that Phil Foden's best football in a Manchester City shirt has come in that front three, being in the box where he can manoeuvre chances and get shots on target. And yesterday you play him in a midfield three.
0: It, It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think, obviously, we know that Thomas Tuchel is Pep Guardiola's kryptonite. But I also thought a large part of this has to do with the tactics that were deployed. I agree, you can make tweaks to the system. But yeah. when you make fundamental, systemized changes to the team in a Champions League final, it doesn't make sense. If we had seen Pep Guardiola play this sort of system in the last two, three games so the team can get adjusted to it. Yes, it makes sense. But to do this, it doesn't help yourself. So I feel Manchester City could have won that final if Pep Guardiola... I would have been of the assumption to take Bernardo Silva out of the team, drop Kevin De Bruyne back a peg and play Raheem Sterling in that false 9 position, then play Phil Foden on the left, Riyad Mahrez on the right. I think that would have been a team that could potentially have beaten Chelsea because when I see Kevin De Bruyne play in that false 9 position, his main forte is playing and setting up players. When he's playing, when he's occupying the centre-backs, they haven't got that hub of creativity to be able to provide goals. So I think, yeah, you've got to blame Pep. Pep has to take the buck for this defeat, and I'm sure he will.
1: No, I agree with Dej. Pep has to, you know, take some of the responsibility. But too many big players yesterday did not turn up. Kevin De Bruyne, who we've dubbed as the best midfield in the world, arguably the best player in the world,
0: he didn't show up.
1: Yeah, he lost really? the
0: ball 14 times. But again, on the biggest stage, why are you making these big changes? Surely, if you're going into you know the biggest day of your life, everything has been changed. You've done something 59 out of 60 times. You're mm. expecting it to be similar. When you're changing on the biggest stage, surely that has to fall with the manager. As a player, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, but Dej,
1: I, I understand that in terms of a Kevin De Bruyne point of view. But players that were already in there.
0: Main positions like Ruben
1: Diaz. I, I don't think he was great yesterday. And
0: but again, you know, Fernandinho Rodri they're that night watchman in front of him that was removed, so they were exposed mm. and frailties came up. You saw, them. This, but this is what I'm trying to
1: how, how good are you really then? Because it's all well and good saying that Ruben Diaz and John Stones look like the best partnership since Slicebread when they have all the protection in front of them, <laughs> but now you've put them in. The cold world where they're isolated <laughs> two on two, <laughs> and struggled. So they
0: struggle. Yeah, but, have to be but the job—the job of a manager—is to mask the flaws of his team, and Very that was something that was working fifty-nine out of sixty times. So why would you change that? And we saw them unravel on the biggest stage.
1: No, I, that, that's a fair point, but I think it's harsh to say. It's all on Pep Guardiola. I think some of the key players from Manchester City did not turn up yesterday. Riyad Mahrez, who was doing magic tricks in the Champions League semi-final, quarter-final. Mm. Yesterday, he was anonymous.
0: And Raheem also, Sterling. We have to give credit to Chelsea. Ben Chilwell, Reese James, they put in heroic performances. Mm. You know, they got no change out of them. But also, again, tactically, could Pep Guardiola have said, you know what, boys, I want you to swap wings. Give it a different look. Mm. It was just They were trying the same, same thing and they weren't cracking.
1: And and just to, to add to Deji's point on Rhys James, we have to, as a Liverpool supporter, have to eat some humble pie because we we were quick to say, oh, you know, Rhys James, come back to me when when you've won a Champions League or when you've won a Premier League. <laughs> or, you know, comparing him to Trent Alexander Arnold, but this is why people rate Rhys James so highly because he put on an absolute clinic yesterday and. I can see why Southgate loves him because he was terrific yesterday, physically on point, defensively sharp, going forward, alert, making sure he was always there to you know cover his defense and defend first and I think he's he's probably in line to start in the summer because that's how impressive i was impressed I was with him yesterday. And I think there was even a stage in the game when you can see him mutter, "I'm going to the Euros." He knew what he did yesterday, and he <laughs> yeah. delivered a special performance. Do
2: you know what? Dot? That's that's a very very perfect segue to um, the next question I want to ask you guys, and we're going to stay on the topic of individual performances for a little while. And you kind of alluded to to it in your in 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 your response just then, in terms of the question I want to ask. But looking at the the English players specifically that played in that final yesterday do the performances of 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 each of those English players have any bearing on Southgate's plans for his starting 11 at the euros not necessarily the the squad but in particular the, the starting 11 th- does Gareth Southgate look at those uh, performances of each of those yeah, uh, those players that played in that final and say right because of the way that they performed in that final they are. I guess ahead in his estimations and his in his pickings for his starting eleven. So we're talking about Reese James. We're talking about Ben Chilwell. We're even talking about Phil Foden. You know, it, does his performance yesterday impact his chances of being picked in the starting eleven for, for Gareth Southgate? Um, let, let let's go to you to kick off on the on this one, Dej. What what are your thoughts?
0: Um, I think as a manager, there's always sort of things you're looking at. One is big game temperament. But I think Gareth will probably take the larger sample size of the season and say, you know what, Phil Foden, he's had an exceptional position. As we mentioned, on that left-hand side, yesterday was asked to play a different role, which was a bit difficult on him. I think Ben Chilwell has solidified his position on that left-back slot. Okay. Wow. I think Reese James has gone up in his estimations, but I still don't see him as a starter. Mm-hmm. I think Mason Mount is definitely a starter now, in my opinion. So I think those three players have definitely shown what they're about. <clears throat> How about you, Doc? What are your thoughts it's, it's on that?
1: difficult to say. It depends what, what formation are England going to play in the Euros? Is it going to be a three at the back? Is it going to be a four at the back? Phil Foden, we've just said his best football comes in that front three. But for England, I'm guessing we're putting him in that midfield three, if I'm not mistaken. So there's a lot of questions for us to answer in terms of selection-wise when it comes to the Euros. But for me, I agree with Ben Chilwell. I think he's England's best left back. I know a lot of people have been waxing lyrical about Luke Shaw this season, but for me, I'm having Ben Chilwell. I think Rhys James has probably cemented himself as a starter now because mm. he was. So, what a... position would you play him? I think if England are going to deploy uh, back three, I think Kyle Walker will be that third centre back with Rhys James right back and Kieran Trippier. And Trent on the bench, if I'm being totally honest. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I think Rhys James, Ben Chilwell, Mason Mount, and Phil Foden, I think they're probably all going to start the first game. But let's remember that's just the first game, the, the lineup can change.
2: You
0: mm-hmm.
2: know? Fair, fair enough. Okay. Um, and still t- uh, staying on the topic of uh, individual performance, uh, performances, if you were each to pick a, a standout player, um, so the the, the uh, player of the match, the best player, and the worst player. Um, who would your picks be? We started with Dej on the last question dot. So I'm going to come to you on this one. Who would who who is your man of the match and who was your 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 worst player of, of of that final?
1: Yeah. So my man of the match was Engolo Conte, the French midfielder. I think he was, it was just terrific yesterday, and I think we've almost done him a disservice not even mentioning um, him him. After Mm. recording around 25 minutes of this podcast, I think Mm. he was sensational. He covered every blade of grass, but I'm going to go with a different option and I'm going to go with his midfield partner, Jorginho, because this was a player that was almost used as a lightning rod for criticism when he was, you know, under Maurizio Sarri. He was the player that Chelsea fans wanted out of the team, you know. Jorginho is the teacher's pet. Why is he playing? Like, he shouldn't be playing. He's not good enough for Chelsea. He slows down the way we play. But tactically yesterday, he was superb when it came to distributing that ball. When it came to intercepting the ball, he was everywhere. And to be honest, Jorginho on the ball, I've always known, terrific player, well class ability, he can play fantastic passes. Jorginho off the ball has improved so much under Thomas Tuchel. And for me, he's one of Chelsea's unsung heroes because he's been brilliant next to Conte this whole Champions League run. And he's been brilliant this season. So I think that's a player that's underappreciated and undervalued by Chelsea fans. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh,
0: The worst game?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The worst player. The worst player as well, though.
0: Unfortunately,
1: probably you know, the best midfielder in the world, in my opinion. Kevin De Bruyne, I think. Mm. I watched him yesterday and I was very, very disappointed. I think some people yesterday competed with him for that position. Raheem Sterling wasn't great. yeah Marez wasn't great. Phil Foden. Bernardo Silva, I didn't know he was playing, if I'm being totally honest. But I think Kevin De Bruyne, this is your moment to step up, show us that. This is why I want to be competing for Ballon d'Ors. This is why I'm the best midfielder in the world. This is why I want to put my name next to the Steven Gerrards, the Yaya Torres, the Patrick Vieiras. I dominate Champions League finals. But yesterday, I, I didn't see it. So for me, he was the worst player on the pitch.
2: Fair enough. Fair
0: enough. How about you, Dej? I think the best player on the pitch, as we mentioned, in Kante will be the, the easy option. There was one interception that he done in like the 90 plus minute where he stubbed his toe. And I thought, yep, you've just won your team the trophy. But if we're gonna go further field, I'm gonna say Reese James. I think the performance mm-hmm. that he showed, locking up Raheem Sterling, who's been one of the best wingers in the Premier League, was fantastic. He matched him for strength, pace. You know, he he couldn't be denied. It was one of those games where he said, you know what, you can try every trick in your locker, but you're not gonna beat me. And and that's what he showed. And I thought, as we mentioned before, he's gone up in Gareth Southgate's estimations. I think he would have probably been the dark horse kind of thing in that sort of position. But he's probably second third choice now. But um, go into the player which let me down in the final, Raheem Sterling. Because I believe Pep Guardiola's decision in starting him was to say, listen, you're going to be the man to make the difference. It's going to be about those 1v1 duels on the wings. You know, Riyad Mahrez, Sterling, can you unlock this defence? And he couldn't, you know. That shotgun pass that Edison paid to him, that was a very good opportunity to get your shot away. And he fluffed these lines, you know. And it begs the wider question for me, because this week we saw Sammy Mockbell Breaking one of these news articles that him and Riyad Mahrez are potentially going to be up for sale. And when he got subbed off, you could see there was no acknowledgement of Pep. You can maybe see that there's a fracturous relationship there. So I think this performance or this season for Raheem Sterling could have, could have larger scale ramifications in his future at the club. Mm-hmm. Some and
2: very,
1: very valid for, points there. Penny for, I just want to say a penny for Sergio Aguero's thoughts because. You know, last game in a Manchester City, uh, and it, it was just a disaster for him. When he came on, he didn't really get into the game. Almost looks like he's lost a yard of pace. But footballing legend and mm. commiserations that he couldn't, you know, you know, win the Champions League with Manchester City. 100%. But he, he did say that
2: he's not leaving on <laughs> until <laughs>
0: right now.
2: <laughs> he's got egg on his face now hasn't he yeah but
0: he didn't have the chance he didn't have the chance to decide that he didn't have the destiny in his own hands it was taken mm. away from him you could say mm it is it
2: is it is a disappointing one of course you know though we're we're not supporters of uh, Manchester City we, you know we 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 support football and and we love great players and of course Sergio Agüero having been such a great servant to the club you would obviously want him to leave on a high and and the images after the game of yeah, you know of when they when they James the the yeah the man desolate, he was yeah. just an absolutely broken man yeah. um so so that of course is is, is disappointing um okay thank, thank you for sharing your thoughts on on, on those points guys're're gonna we're, gonna we're gonna wrap it up with with this final question that I wanted to ask you both and again, it was um going back to uh, some what a point that we mentioned on a previous show and the question that you asked actually dot was um, you want to see how city recover if they lose, um, how will the players take coming second best? and uh, Respond and React going into the next season. And, and my question is, you know, of course it, it remains to be seen. We're going to have to wait and see what happens ultimately. But how do you both see City reacting and responding? Do you think they can come again so soon as next season uh, in the Champions League? Um, where Do you feel like the players themselves have the mental fortitude to... Come again, like we've seen Liverpool uh, players do in, 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 in the past. And in terms of the club and the recruitment plans, how do you see them responding? Where do you see them strengthening the team in, in, the, in the transfer window this, this summer? We're going to kick things off with you, Dej.
0: I expect across that forward line for there to be wholesale, wholesale changes. Gabriel Jesus, for me, is a good striker. But Manchester City demand an elite striker. And obviously there's been conversations about Harry Kane. And I can see Gabriel Jesus leaving. I can see Riyad Mahrez leave. I can see Raheem Sterling leaving. But the only key question is, where would they leave to? Because these are players that probably demand European football. And when you look at the clubs that can afford their wages and their transfer fees, obviously due to COVID, it's a bit of a tricky one. Manchester City are interested in Jack Grealish. So that kind of, when you put two and two together, Raheem Sterling's position on the left, Jack Grealish likes to fill that position as well. So that... So been
1: who's been linked with Raheem Sterling and and Marez?
0: I've seen news about, I don't know, maybe it could be used as a make-weight towards Tottenham. Obviously, Mm. they're in the Europa Conference Mm. League. But when I look at those players, (laughs) will they settle for going into the Europa League? That's the issue. It's going to come down to finances at the end of the season because I think there's a bit of needle between Raheem Sterling and Pep Guardiola. And I'm not sure if that's something that can be rectified. So I think from a recruitment perspective, there's going to be changes across the front line. I think the players have been there for a while. It's not quite good enough to win Champions Leagues. I believe you need a top centre forward, even though Chelsea may beg to differ after what we saw yesterday. Mm. But yeah, that's my view on it. In regards to the players, can they come again? Of course. But these players aren't getting any younger. Kevin De Bruyne's going to be a year older. He's had these injury problems. Yesterday, we saw him, you know, come off groggily. You know, it looked like he had been punched by Anthony Joshua. (laughs) Sort of like he had orbital damage, damage, a broken nose, that kind of stuff. Ruben Diaz, he's a massive strength. I think you can build a great defence around him. Kyle Walker's getting older. So, of course, Manchester City will come again. But I think in terms of recruitment, there's going to have to be probably two or three big signings in that midfield area. Oh, sorry, in the
2: front forward area and maybe a replacement for Fernandinho. Fair enough. What are your thoughts on on that, Dot? Yeah, I always said to win,
1: you know, your first Champions League, you need to go through some sort of trauma. Like we saw it, we, we, you know, we look at Atletico Madrid, they've gone to finals, still can't get over the line. PSG last season, their first final, it just doesn't happen. Um, but in terms of a recruitment point of view, I agree. I think there's going to be changes in the front three. Um, I think Pep's going to freshen that up. I mean, if they get Harry Kane, I think that'll make them as the number one team in Europe, hands down. But I don't see them winning the Champions League next season, if I'm being honest, because everyone's going to come back stronger. I think this was mm-hmm. the best opportunity for Manchester City to nail down a Champions League. And ultimately, as sad as it is to say, they bottled it. They fluffed their lines. We, we just have to be honest about it. And I think Bayern Munich are going to be stronger next season. They've just, you know, completed the signing of Dier Oppenman who's going to drop straight into that centre-back position. So they're going to come back. And I think they were knocked out harshly because they lost their best player in Lewandowski. And I think if Lewandowski was fit, Bayern Munich probably would have won the Champions League this season. So they're going to come back stronger. Liverpool, oh my God, just announced Ibrahime Konate. They're going to come back stronger. Chelsea, they're going to want to defend their title next season. So there's going to be so many teams that are going to throw mm. their hats into the ring, and I can't see Manchester City coming back next year and winning this.
2: It certainly does look ominous for for Manchester City, as you said. This was the best opportunity, and I think for that reason, why a lot of people thought, yeah, this is this is certainly going to you know going to be it. It's going to be the opportunity that Pep can finally. Uh, you know, shake that hoodoo and 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 you know uh, this curse of not being able to win the Champions League without uh, uh, Lionel Messi. Um, and I mean, you know, there's there's uh, I suppose it's 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 disappointing because it sheds uh, um, the, the, a grey area over a season that really should be a, a positive. You know, they've they've won um, the Premier League and and done the cup double, but I think it's it's ultimately the question that you know he's Pep hasn't done anything that hasn't been expected of him, I think, this this season. Um, but it will certainly be very interesting. Next season, as you as you say, Dot, there's gonna be a load of things that are gonna be happening. There's gonna be a lot of movement between different clubs, a lot of teams that are gonna to want to um, you know, forget about this season, because I think, of course, for, for, for everyone uh, involved in, in the footballing pyramid, it's been a, a very, very difficult season. You know, a load, loads of big teams have underperformed. Let's have it right. So I think a lot of teams want to set about their business in the right way and right the wrongs of this season next year, which is why it's going to be that much more difficult to compete domestically in Europe and so on and so forth. But one, of course, we're gonna we're gonna have to wait and see. You know, Uh, is the is the finance going to be made available for City and 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 for Pep to go and you know strengthen in the areas that they need uh, to?
1: Just just to interject, finances have been made available. Pep has spent eight hundred million since he's been at Manchester City, and he's still yet to get his hands on the trophy. So it's all well and good you saying, okay, Man City are going to spend another two hundred million during Mm -hmm. the summer, and you know put their tally to almost over a bill. But, <laughs> like, it, it it doesn't mean they're going to win the Champions League next season because it's all well and good saying, OK, they get Harry Kane, but you have to do the business on the pitch. You need to come clutch on those big occasions. And, and for far too long, Manchester City haven't done that in Europe. And it's now 10 years since Pep Guardiola last won the Champions League.
0: <laughs>
2: Thanks for that, that stat there, Doc. Much appreciated. Um... I mean, what what can we do but wait and see? You know, um, again, that the whole question about finance is a really really tricky one this year because every club is feeling the impact of of COVID. So whether they will be able to is a a, a whole different uh, story and, and and question as well. But we will have to just wait and see. Ultimately, we've just got to um, give uh, Thomas Tuchel his flowers. Yeah. Uh, and Chelsea, their flowers. We saw
0: he's already that- talking about a new contract. You saw him on the picture with Ibrahimovic and say, "Listen, this is what I can do. Yeah, give me a few of my own players, and I'll win you the league." So this is, and it. he's got every right. He's got massive leverage now. Yeah, you know, yeah. He's, he cemented himself as a as a top coach yeah. because there were question marks about. Mm. I remember me previously saying when he was appointed or when he was being linked that, you know, he doesn't belong on the top table but he's climbed onto that top table to be able to get a team without any of these players within four months to mould and cajole them not only into a top four finish, but into an FA Cup final, then win the Champions League final, win the big airs, like he's a top mm. manager and I think Abramovich will be offering him a new contract and saying, which players do you want? Let me fund them. <laughs> I you saw know. a meme on Twitter actually someone with the, the picture of those two,
2: Abramovich and Tuchel. And, and the, the caption was, uh, who, who who do you want? Uh, Mbappe or, or Haaland?
0: <laughs> yeah, <and laughs> so, I won't be surprised. <laughs>
2: So yeah, again, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. I, I, I think another thing that comes to mind is it'd be great to have you know a, a penny for the thoughts of uh, uh, Frank Lampard. You know, how mm. how is sitting at home and seeing that team win that the the Champions League, where a few months ago, you know, he was quoted as saying that he didn't feel that the the the, the squad was in a position to compete at this state, at this point in time. So it would be interesting to see what what his views is. Yeah, and a
0: lot of people are. sort of say, you know, we got to thank Frank Lampard for, you know, Thomas Tuchel should be thanking him. I'm not sure where I stand on that. I think Thomas Tuchel went in there, you know, repaired some fractured relationships. You know, Rudiger, you know, wasn't enjoying his time there. Mm. Marcus Alonso and Bill Shankly always says, it's all about the Holy Trinity at the football club. That's the fans, players and manager. And all three have been aligned under Thomas Tuchel. So Thomas Tuchel takes massive, massive credit for this.
2: 100%. 100%. Right. I think we can, we can leave it there, but let's, let, let's end on a good note um, with, of course, the, the praise and the congratulations to Chelsea Football Club and, and to Thomas Tuchel and everyone involved at the club. Again, um, ma- making reference to that point that Dot raised about football heritage and the fact that they' they're, uh your um, Champions League clout and heritage did pay off when it uh, ultimately mattered, um, and we'll, we look to the Champions League next season, where we of course expect for for things to to get really, really tasty as as, as all of these clubs uh, in Europe try to you know get back to, to 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 where they once were in terms of being right at the top table and and and, and putting in elite performances that we can all remember, and of course as well. Uh, a, a big thing that we expect next season that we didn't get too much of this year uh, 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 until the end of the, um, the, the this Champions League is the return of the fans, you know, and the the impact that having fans in stadium makes. You know, we're, we're going to get back to those Champions League nights with with raucous crowds and 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 the atmosphere that that the, the competition absolutely deserves. Um, so we look forward to that, of course. Um, we're going to uh, go into and, and provide coverage of that next season. But before we do that, um, we, of course, have the uh, the Euros to look forward to. And we, uh, over this period of time, will continue to collaborate uh, with the partnership between Eurosport and the beautiful game, bringing you coverage of of, of the games over the tournament. Um, so you know you're not going to get rid of us uh, anytime soon. <laughs> Stay tuned. Thank you guys very much for uh, tuning into our coverage throughout this year's Champions League uh, and, and hearing our thoughts and our views. Um, but just a, a heads up that you know um, uh, you, you won't have to wait too long before our next episode, which will be um, you know uh, looking at uh, the, the Euros and, and 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 chatting through the games and the lineups and and and, and managers' selections and all those kind of things. So stay tuned. We're going to leave it there. And until the next episode, people, over and out.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more.